0: when I was dating Jill we had we dated for several years before we got married and and she got she got to the point where she wanted to be with me for the rest of her life um, before I did and so that began to cause some tension in our, our relationship and so uh, actually she, she took a season and went back home to Michigan and left me here in Tennessee to sort of grow in, in some areas and so we, we were apart kind of doing this long distance relationship thing um, which was kind of working out okay for me but not working out well for her at all, and so one evening she called me on the phone and said, "I I can't I can't do this anymore. Like this is tearing me apart." And um, it was one of those moments of tragedy and beauty and all of the sappy love story things that you can pile on top of it, including. She sent me this song by Bonnie Raitt that says, I can't make you love me if you don't. <laughs> but essentially what she was saying is, um, I, I, can't, I can't go on like this any, anymore. And so I'm going I'm to have, if you aren't able to love me with your whole heart, then I, I've got to find a way to let you go. And I said, um, okay, I don't, okay. And so she did. And it was when she did that I realized, wait, that's not what I meant. At all. No, no, that's not what I meant at all. Because when she withdrew her love, when she began to truly let go, um, I realized the void that she was leaving behind the hole in my own life that was going to be there without her in it and so I immediately booked a flight and bought a ring and went to Michigan and said will you marry me and she said I don't think I'm ready for that. (laughs) So I flew back into Nashville that evening. I had gone up there thinking, I'll fly back and she'll be with me and everything will be okay. And I flew back and looked out over the lonely city lights and thought um, of the way that I have had been living half-hearted. Because it wasn't just Jill, it was everything. It was my spirituality. The only thing that I had really given myself to was my vocation, which at that point was being a record producer in Nashville trying to make it in the Nashville music community (coughs) and I realized there are a lot of deficits here there are a lot of shortcomings here and I'm miserable and I'm depressed and this isn't working I'm trying to ride the fence in every area of my life I had been living really a semi-agnostic life raised as a Christian. But I didn't really need God in my life. I didn't really need Him to be there in order for me to have the life that I already had. And that's kind of how things go. It works like that until the rug gets pulled out from under us. In my, my case, I realized... I'm a crash test dummy and I don't know it. (laughs) This is how I've been living. And this is how we live. We don't realize that we're we're in for the wall. And so I hit the wall and realized okay, everything that I truly do care about has been snapped into focus, but now it seems out of reach. So I spent a season, well, Jill me, made me pay let's just be honest about it while she made me pay Um, in really deep depression and I'd get up every morning and drive downtown and buy bagels for the homeless people in Centennial Park and
1: try to hear about
0: their problems and share mine and try to get my heart back Because the half-hearted way I was living Wasn't working out So the way that the story ends As you know Is that I got the girl Right And she's, she's now
1: My wife And we have a beautiful daughter
0: And a beautiful son And a beautiful family Together I would submit to you that most of Western Christianity lives somewhere in that vicinity, somewhere in the vicinity of the song that we just watched, in our posture toward God. Half of my heart loves you. Half of my heart's kind of got my own thing going on. I'm not really all in, can't stop loving you, but I don't need you all the time. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 22, and if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen here, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's move to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. will be the next slide. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. With all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, do this, and you will live. Book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these so the synoptic gospels of Matthew Mark and Luke all have this same story of Jesus being confronted about what is the chief and greatest commandment what is the core building block of life and Jesus comes back with the same answer every time Love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is a really easy commandment to fulfill, as we all know. For 15 seconds, it's a completely different matter when it's day after day after day and we've committed ourselves to something always to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and yet the theme is played out in scripture over and over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20 this is the mosaic law and this is a chapter dedicated to, um, to warfare, what, what warfare is supposed to look like. And so the army that's about to go into battle comes together. And the first thing that happens are that the priests come out in front of the people and they say, look, God is going before you. The battle is the Lord's. Do not be afraid. This day the Lord will give your enemy into your hands. And then when the priests are done the generals come out and ask the warriors the army a series of questions. Has anyone built a house and not dedicated it? Go home. Anyone planted a vineyard and not enjoyed its fruit? You can go home. Anyone engaged but not yet married to the woman you have betrothed, you get to go home. Anybody afraid, faint-hearted, you can go home too. So you have to wonder to yourself who's left, right? Who would be left after that? Only those with an undivided heart for the mission. Only those who were fearless in the fact that the battle was the Lord's. Only those with a wholehearted commitment to the battle that they were about to engage. Right? That's all that could be left. Jesus talks about a parable. He gives this parable. known as the parable of the talents. There's these three guys. There's a master. The master gives to each person... Some money. In a in series of denominations, the first guy gets the most, the second guy gets a little bit less, the third guy gets a little bit less. The first guy goes and invests the master's money, and when the master returns, the servant says, I've doubled your money. Here is a 100% return on what you gave me. He goes to the second person. The second servant has done the same thing. I have invested your money. Here is a 100% return on what you gave me. It's the third person who was afraid of the master and hid the money in the ground and just gave him back what he got in the first place that finds himself in trouble. But there's no in-between. It's an all or nothing kind of proposition. And this is the way that scripture reads all throughout. It's an all or nothing proposition. It's Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's a wholehearted thing that we read. Matthew 10, Jesus goes on goes so far as to say that anyone who loves anything more than him is not worthy of him. That's hard, core, but it's also very direct. Jesus is so insightful in the way that he says things because. As ambiguous as some of his stories can be, he's going right after a place in our hearts that leaves no wiggle room at all. So when Jesus says, look, anything that you love more than me makes you unworthy of me, there's just no wiggle room there. He goes on to say, the very thing that you're trying to hold on to, your life, is the very thing that you're going to lose in the end any other way outside of me. So the Bible seems to be inviting us and commanding us to live wholeheartedly. And yet we live so much of our lives half-hearted. Why? This passage of Scripture that we've given ourselves to today is popularly known as the story of the rich young ruler. And we'll spend time looking at the whole passage. But Jesus says something very fascinating at the end of his encounter with this young man. Something that for years was a bit confusing to me. So in verse 23, it reads, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This was always a problem for me because I thought as an American, getting rich was supposed to be what we were after. Like, why is that such a problem? I thought it was my God-given mandate to go one step further than my parents. I thought it was my God-given right to pursue happiness and wholeness and lots of cash. Isn't that the way that culture kind of lays it out for us? So why is it that Jesus seems to be directly opposing this? But perhaps it's right there, blinking like, like neon. If you've ever traveled to a foreign land, you know that there is no place like home. If you've ever traveled into an emerging country or a third world developing country, you really realize that. You come home a bit ashamed of what we have what they do not. But what you realize pretty quickly is that life is distilled down to a place of core necessity for these people. They're not worried about the plethora of choices for dining. They're worried about eating, period. And this is how they exist they're not worried about how that picture or that picture might work best with our couch. They're thankful for a roof at all. The whole paradigm is shifted and it works the same way with their faith. They realize that at the core of it all they are utterly dependent upon God there is no other option he must show up in order for them to stay alive and feed their families we don't live like that we don't have to live like that if God doesn't show up usually we'll find some other way to get it done Right? So it's likely that we are actually the people Jesus is talking about. We're the rich ones. And it's only with difficulty that we can enter the kingdom of God. Think about it. When do you feel as if you're clinging most to God? Isn't it when we're feeling helpless to do anything in our own power? Isn't it in hardship that we can't find a way to overcome that we end up finally pressing in? Jesus said, only with difficulty can a rich person enter the kingdom of God. And hasn't that proven true? Only with difficulty do we find ourselves grasping for him as if it actually mattered. Only in difficulty do we find ourselves wholeheartedly clinging and grasping and clawing to get near him. This passage is a very fascinating dialogue. It's, it's interesting because this man, this wealthy young man, the rich young ruler, is actually a good guy. He's a very good man. And he comes to Jesus, inquiring about eternal life, Master, Rabbi, how can I achieve eternal life? And Jesus begins to give him the commandments, the Ten Commandments. and and he says, sir, I've, I have done my very, I've done all that. I've done my very, very best to live by that. I'm truly focused on observing these things. So what do I lack? And as Jesus is prone to do like a laser beam, he zones in on the one obstacle, the one place in this guy's life that he's not willing to let go of. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. The man leaves sorrowful. It's really interesting because Jesus had invited this young man to become one of them in all of the narratives of Christ choosing his disciples and his friends, what does he say? Come follow me. And he says that to this rich young ruler. Get rid of everything in your life that is holding you back now and come follow me. What would this story be like if he had done that? there might be another disciple that we now know of. Who knows? At the end of the day, the guy left because that was the one thing. His riches, his plan B, his security, that was the one thing he wasn't willing to let go of. He had what he was looking for in his grasp, and he let it slip through his fingers. I have a friend here today. Her name is Leslie. I met her a few years ago when she was going through a series of difficult hardships in her own life. She came wandering into the Daily Audio Bible world, as many do. And I've watched Leslie from that point forward do what she can To live wholeheartedly. And when I found out she was going to be here with her daughter Molly today, I asked her if she would mind sharing from her life with us for a few moments. So I want to introduce you to Leslie. She's the mom of the Daily Audio Bible kids. She keeps our kids safe from people who... Who might want to harm them? And she does it with an iron fist. So, Leslie Scott, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Okay. um, Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to me for a few minutes. Um, I'm really nervous, so I'm going to take a deep breath, and um, I'm going to say hi to my daily audio Bible friends that are watching right now, because um, I love them, and they've been key to where I am today, and my sons are watching at home in Ohio. <laughs> Molly is over here with me. She she made the adventure with her mom in the car for six hours straight, which for a 13-year-old, that's a really big deal, so <laughs> um, I just want to start with a verse I came to Daily Audio Bible in 2008, and I never imagined um, what God was going to do. So I was in a pile on the floor pretty much at that point. My husband of 19 years left us for somebody else, and I was in Connecticut in the middle of my bachelor's degree. I'm 47, and um, going to college is a challenge at that age, but I was in the middle of it and determined that I wasn't going to quit because I have three teenagers that I need to make a way for. The verse that God gave me in the beginning was um, Isaiah 37. Then this shall be a sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself, in the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward." For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It doesn't say, Leslie is going to do this. (laughs) It doesn't say that um, Leslie and her friends are going to do this. It says the zeal of the Lord is going to perform this. And the zeal of the Lord is actually his love and mercy. So his love and mercy has gotten me to hear. And to hear means... um, um, 2008, I was um, just doing school, kids, and church. And I had been given a lot of wise counsel that I was to focus for the next three years on just those things and bring the pieces of our lives back together. So I was really excited about these verses because. The first year I get to eat, the second year I get to eat, yes, I'm glad about that because I like to eat. So I was good. I had no idea what all this was going to mean. So in 2008, I was invited um, to go to Tahiti to teach English. I know, it was a tough assignment, but I had to go. (laughs) Um, It ended up that it didn't start out like that, but it ended up to be a honeymoon for me and Jesus. And it was a time, 2008 was the beginning of the time that he really started to romance me. And I became familiar with him as my husband instead of just um, a savior on a cross and uh, my friend. So we were in Tahiti together, and the people in Tahiti rocked my world, to say the least. I prayed with women that spoke Tahitian, French, Spanish, and I speak English and Spanish over our teenagers. And praise God, the teenagers are exactly the same over there that they are here. So we really connected. And I will never be the same because of those people. 2009 was a little more difficulty. When Jesus says, follow me and it will be difficult, he's, he's not kidding. And it's okay because he gives you verses to hang on to. He gives you his promises. I would have never found these promises if I hadn't been listening to the Daily Your Bible. Every single morning, I would make it a point. No matter what my day was bringing, I would get up earlier to do it first. And I'd journal also like crazy. So in 2009, I'm close to finishing my degree in May, and I'm supposed to be finishing my student teaching at the same time. But the student teaching thing didn't go as well. It was a little difficult. I ended up having to step out and go back into it. And in the process of that, I also have to take certification exams. Um, One of them I passed with flying colors. The second one, not so great. I ended up taking it eight times, and I never (laughs) passed the Connecticut required score, because I was in Connecticut at the time, while I'm doing all this, Deb and Tara at the Daily Bible website, I have become really close with them, and they're, we're emailing, and they're with me, and, you know, go do it again, you can do it, and then Tara finally says to me, have you checked what it takes to be certified in Ohio, which is where my family is, so I look, and what do you know, the same test, the passing score is lower, and I've passed eight times in Ohio. But I failed eight times in Connecticut, on a big stage, to say the least, in front of the School of Education. But things are never what they seem, right? I look like a failure in Connecticut, but I'm actually already a teacher in Ohio. So then I started thinking, wow, okay, I still had to take one more test to get certified in Ohio that was totally different. So I signed up for that. And while I was waiting for that date to arrive, Brian shows up at my house for um, dinner with me and the kids. And he hangs out for a while, and then all of a sudden he says to me, so how many more times are you going to take this test before you move to Ohio? And I thought, oh, that's not a bad idea, I guess. (laughs) So I went to take the test again. Again, I missed the Connecticut passing score, um, required passing score, but the first test, the second test that I had to take for Ohio, I passed 30 points above. So this is the end of um, 2009, and I'm finally feeling like, wow, this is great. Also at that point, Brian is asking me if I want to go to Captivating, which is um, the first Captivating for the Daily Audio Bible Women. And at the end of 2009, I still don't have a job. I'm finishing student teaching, um, finances are going to change quickly, and I have no permanent situation, and Captivating's in April. Well, I say to Brian on the phone, yep, I'm going. I'm just going to trust that I'm going. And then, sure enough, I had two substitute positions offered to me before I even finished student teaching in the school I was in. Even though I was supposedly a failed student teacher in terms of the praxis test, I wowed them in the classroom. So the principal asked me to come in, and it was awesome. So God carried me from, well, he's carried me my whole life, but um, in, it, from January 2010, to July 2010 was when the process started for us to come home. Well, for me to bring the kids to Ohio, to where we could start our new beginning together. And um, so July came after captivating in April, and captivating was a time God had already prepared my heart, and I can't um, say enough about captivating. I spent a lot of time crying, but I got to know Jill and Sandy, and um, it was just amazing. Um, I have a thing. But I always say, if God saves us a seat, all we have to do is show up. There really isn't anything else required, because once you get there, he does, he just, he does really wonderful things for you. Um, so now I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I have a part-time reading job as a teacher in an urban district. And <laughs> um, I'm actually working for the Ohio State University I was called into a project by a good friend of mine that was in youth group with me, and I am actually teaching future teachers how to pass the test that I failed eight times. (laughs) My title is language arts expert. I'm the only one at the table that doesn't have a master's degree. But I have to say God is funny because I am the language arts expert. I took every version of that crazy test. I can probably tell you every question. So I can write the modules and show you what we have to study. So um, God is so good. The other verse that he gave me for all this was Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able um, to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. Um, That is my life verse. I'm always blown away every day at what he's going to do next and the only reason I walked into obedience was because Brian walked into obedience so I walked into obedience I can be the mom I'm supposed to be through God not perfect and any shake of a stick my kids can walk into obedience and hopefully my students can walk into obedience It is about the next generation, and I thank you for listening to me today, and it's a privilege to serve alongside of all of you and the Daily Audio Bible for the purpose of the next generation breaking forth.
0: Go ahead and put up the next slide, Chris. This is a photo of two people embracing. If you hadn't maybe discerned that. So look at them. What do you, what do you see here? See two people grasping at each other, looking into each other's eyes. look of relief, a look of happiness. In Chile, several months ago, miners were stranded deep under the earth. The hope for survival was small. The spouses and families above ground were equally trapped because they couldn't move on in any direction. They were just as trapped as their loved ones below the earth. Imagine the feeling of helplessness. Imagine being trapped under the earth or above it when the one you love is trapped below Wouldn't this distill everything down to the core? What if you never see the sun again? What if you never see your daughter's face again? What if your spouse has to go on and raise your little ones without you present? They would have had time to think about all the things they didn't get the chance to say. All of the things that they would have done differently. So if you're here with your spouse, I want you to look at your spouse for a second. If you're not here with your spouse, I want you to think about his or her face If you're not married, I want you to think about someone that you love very much. And now close your eyes. Imagine that was the last time you will ever see their face again. Doesn't this help us? See the ways in which we've been living half heartedly toward what we love most? What would we change if this were it? That was it. And if this actually were it and we lost them, where would we turn immediately? And doesn't this give us a sense of how things are actually structured? In difficulty, we turn to God. Everything else is layers of meaninglessness, outside of the bedrock of where the truth lies. We like to live as if we are our own source, as if we are our own plan, being in reality we're all here because of the merciful kindness of God and and, and no other. So the easy thing to do would be to stop right here now And say, okay, there. Do you feel that? Do you feel how you've been living half-hearted? And the challenge to you is now to love more deeply and to live more passionately. But if we stop there, we'll be leaving ourselves short, truly, of the goal line. When Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord with all our heart, he was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Is that even really possible? This story of the Old Testament, the story of the children of Israel would indicate that it's possible for a while, but they're always going to turn away until hardship comes and they return to their core and are restored. The story of our lives would probably indicate what Jesus said. That's only possible with great difficulty. Only accompanied by great difficulty can I ever truly love the Lord my God with all my heart because that's the only time I seem to ever be able to manage that. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. I'm going to confess something. I'm sorry, honey. Valentine's Day is one of my least favorite holidays. St. Valentine is kind of an unknown guy because it's guys named Valentinus. Martyrs who were martyred in ancient Rome for the faith. Hardly a thing to eat heart-shaped chocolates and think about. Right? And for guys... You know, Valentine's Day at the beginning of a relationship is deeply meaningful, all thoughtful, all wonderful. You never realize when you get into that cycle that you are always going to have to one-up last year. (laughs) And we're not wired like that. And so we run out of ways to one-up last year. And then it just becomes this manufactured thing. Like, I have to manufacture how much I love my spouse. What am I going to come up with now? But it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Who's ever in your life had a broken heart? Raise your hand. Right? So you know the feeling of getting kicked in the stomach when you realize what's happened or what's happening that you're losing something you love that what you thought was stable ground was shaky ground you realize that all is not how it seems it's it's wounding you to the core you say i have a broken heart my heart is breaking My heart is broken. Right? So, this is the crux of the problem with the great commandment. We're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart. How can we love Him with all our heart when we don't have all our heart to love Him with? We live... In a broken world. Our hearts have been broken. We are not whole. We cannot seem to love wholeheartedly. So how then can we ever fulfill a command that is known to be the one commandment that we actually need to fulfill? It's this actually some kind of joke, right? Is this some sort of curse, something that we can never aspire to, something that we'll never achieve? Psalm 117, verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4 as he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the broken hearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In order to love the Lord our God with all our heart, there is only one way. That is to fully open ourselves to the work of Christ. So there is a way to live this way. There is the possibility, but we must allow Christ to do what he said he has come to do. Heal our broken hearts and set us free so that we might love the Lord our God with all our hearts. And so, Jesus, we quiet ourselves for just a moment before we come to a time around your table. We know we've been living half-heartedly, but we, we can't live any other way without you. We are broken people. Our hearts have been shattered and fragmented by a broken world. And you said you've come to fix that. That you are the one that can redeem and restore those broken places. And so, Christ, we invite you now. Come. Heal our broken hearts. Begin the process of knitting us back together today. A process that may take a long time, but we open ourselves to you, Jesus. You are the one place we would turn when the world is falling around us. And so we turn to you now because we've been hobbling along trying to make it work on our own terms. We turn to you now for wholeness. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Come into this time. Come now as we participate in what you've invited us into to remember your body and your blood, your work, the redemptive work, your sacrifice that would make this possible. Come, Father. Come. Heal our broken hearts. Come, set us free.
1: In Christ's name, we pray this. Amen.